Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you all for, for joining me today for this presentation, Nothing About Us Without Us, Accessibility and Accommodations and the Student Experience. Okay, um, before beginning my presentation, I would like to state that the Athabasca University Students Union respectfully acknowledges that our organization is located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional territory of the Nehia Plains Cree, Woodland Cree, Beaver Cree, Soto, Nitsitapi, um, Métis and Nakota Sioux peoples. We also recognize that our members span across the land that we now know as Canada and abroad, and we acknowledge and celebrate these Indigenous histories, languages, and cultures. As an organization, AUSU is committed to decolonization, reconciliation, and conciliation efforts, acknowledging that there is much to unlearn. Um, AUSU will continuously strive to build equitable relationships with Indigenous learners at AU, as well as Indigenous members and staff within AUSU, and advocate with and for Indigenous learners through consultation and create spaces that are inclusive, respectful, and equitable. Um, my name is Natalia Ivanek. Um, my pronouns are she and they, and I am the current VP um, Community and Wellness at AUSU. Um, this is my third and final term as Vice President of Community and Wellness. Um, I previously served half a term as VP External and Student Affairs and currently chair the Member Engagement and Communications Committee and the Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committees. Um, so maybe I thought we could begin, what does a VPCW do at AUSU? Um, this is a brand new position. Um, created about two and a half years ago. Um, my portfolio has consisted of accessibility and accommodations work, supports for the 2SLGBTQIA plus community, writing and editing EDI-related policies, as well as advocacy work. Um, a majority of my portfolio is event planning logistics, um, accessibility planning and contacting speakers, meet and greets, um, hosting duties at times. In many of these cases, it also means liaising um, with communities of students um, and the EDI committee to ensure that I carry out their wishes. I also work on increasing student engagement, improving mental health services available at AU and sitting on various AU academic committees. Um, at AU, I'm a fourth year English major and poli-sci minor. Um, professionally, I have a background in copy and stylistic editing with a focus on plain language, inclusive language, as well as accessibility. On a personal note, I am disabled, chronically ill, and neurodivergent. Um, I attended a traditional brick and mortar university in the early 2000s before illness um, forced me to discontinue my studies. I returned um, this time in 2017 or 18 as a student at AU, partly in terms of the accessibility provided and partly in terms of the fact that I'm also um, in different geographical locations. Um, in other words, AU works well for my particular um, lived experience. Maybe let's get to know AUSU. Um, our official name is the Athabasca University Students Union and our official location is Edmonton, Alberta. We consist of a president, a VP external, a VP finance and administration and VP community and wellness working full-time. 
Um, we also have eight counselors um, with one seat reserved for a counselor slash Indigenous Circle representative, plus six full-time staff employees. Um, we represent over 38,000 students and our median age um, ranges from about 27 to, to 30. Um, despite our official Edmonton address, uh, everyone in our organization is located um, across what is known as Canada, as well as internationally, um, our executive committee, which means the counselors that work full time, are located in Northern Alberta, Southern Alberta, Southern Ontario, and Northern Mexico. Um, we also have counselors from various coasts, including Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba, Newfoundland, and British Columbia. Um, and, and then we have myself. Um, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge that I'm currently working remotely as an immigrant settler. Um, uh, from what is um, Durango, Mexico. Um, and those of you familiar with Northern Mexico, I'm, I'm kind of up in the Sierra Madre Occidental Mountains, which are um, kind of sandwiched between Sinaloa, Zacatecas, um, Sonora, and Chihuahua, and Coahuila states. Um, so let's begin. Um, before continuing, I thought it would be important to include a content warning um, as this presentation will cover some difficult topics. Um, please feel free to, to step away at any time to take care of yourselves. Um, I thought we could begin with a quick definition of accessibility. Um, according to Accessibility Services Canada, and I quote, accessibility refers to the design of products, devices, services, or environments for people who experience disabilities. Um, throughout my presentation, you may notice that I use identity first language. Um, for example, I say I am disabled, and I personally do not um, wish to be addressed as a person with a disability. Um, just because, in my personal opinion for myself, um, I don't consider disability to be in any way of an inherent negative or in, in need of being separated from my personhood or softened by euphemisms. Um, in my opinion, it's not my body or mind that needs any sort of fixing. It's society's systemic barriers that disable me. Um, however, many disabled people do use the term person with a disability, and it's always best to defer to how individuals self-identify, including um, the use of reclaimed terms such as crip. Um, please note that throughout the presentation, when speaking of accommodations for students, I'll be using the terms um, disability, community, and disabled, although much of this also um, refers to chronic illness, neurodiversity, mental health, and more. Um, and know that not everyone identifies as disabled or even considers their experience a disability. And one final disclaimer, much of this um, Presentation is a result of my particular lived experience and may not necessarily reflect the very lives of disabled folks. Um, throughout the presentation, I'll be sharing the words of various disability activists who have come before me and who have been so influential on, on my life and work. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without the wider disability community, their words and wisdom, and, and I hope I do their work justice. 
Um, we begin with the words of Lydia said Brown from the website Autistic Hoya, who, um, and I quote, why is it culturally appropriate and typical to accept race, religion, and nationality as markers of identity that ought to be designated with proper adjectives that, in parentheses, in English, um, precede the noun individual or person and not those that fall under the category that we call ability? Another of Lydia's quote states, an identity is not something that I have, it is who I am. Um, as, as we can see so far, nothing um, is simple in disability and often involves a great deal of debate um, within the community itself and as well as without. So th this brings us to kind of our, our next sometimes contentious point, the various theoretical models of disability. Um, respecting everyone's time, I'll only focus on two better well-known models. Um, while, while the disability community in general favors a social model of disability, um, it, it must be mentioned that the medical model continues to be popular as well. Um, so the social model of, of disability states that various societal barriers prevent us from fully participating in society, while the medical model focuses on what is seen to be in need of eradicating or caring. Um, according to the University of Oregon, and I quote, the social model views disability as a consequence of environmental, social, and attitudinal barriers that may prevent people from fully participating in society. The medical model views disability as resulting from an individual person's physical or mental limitations and is not connected to social or geographical environments. The medical model focuses on finding a cure. Um, so as, as a personal proponent of, of the social model, um, in my view, one suggestion that I would say in advocacy work for students, um, how to apply this is to stress the importance of moving away from any sort of medical model in terms of needing medical paperwork, um, forms, and diagnosis to access um, accommodations to the university uh, departments, including accessibility services. Um, and this brings me to my, my next point. Um, which are barriers to student accommodations at the post-secondary level, which I'm sure um, some of you may have experienced. And you know, if you have, please always feel free to reach out to the student union if we can advocate for you in, in some way. Um, so before continuing, I'll remind you that the disability community is incredibly varied um, with, with many different experiences and accessibility needs, although many of these barriers overlap um, in various experiences. So when beginning our advocacy with and for disabled students, um, I think as an organization, we acknowledge ongoing systems of oppression, um, such as racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, sizeism within medical fields, um, which can make the very thought of accessing care or diagnosis needed for accommodations extremely traumatic and therefore inaccessible for many students. This coupled with the shortage of medical providers, as we have really seen in Southern Alberta in, in the past um, year or so, 
um, long wait times for specialist referrals, and often high costs of medical diagnosis and assessments. One example would be a psychoeducational assessment, um, as well as complex paperwork. Um, all of these complicate the situation further for students. Um, I think something that's that has always kind of been here, but has also been coming up, um, you know, across post-secondary, all across Canada, um, is students with newer, long-term, unpredictable, understudied and complex conditions. Um, you know, for example, one would be post-COVID, um, also post-viral conditions, chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases, um, with, with many students struggling to obtain accommodations at the post-secondary level. Um, as, as some of you may know, um, unfortunately, obtaining a diagnosis can be extremely time-consuming. Um, many illnesses, to use the over 100 um, autoimmune diseases in existence, take an average of five to seven years to, to diagnose, um, which makes it very different difficult to access accommodations. Um, and unfortunately, many types of illnesses often affect certain demographics uh, a great deal and are often misdiagnosed and disregarded by the medical system, which simply can't keep up with increasing um, demand, underfunding in research and medical disregard. I think that Another thing that has been coming up is there's also a lack of accessible mental health supports for students um, across post-secondary. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, this has led to increased um, suicide rates among international students um, this year. There's also transportation problems, whether from an accessibility standpoint or simply being non-existent, infrequent um, in certain areas, especially northern regions, um, rural and remote areas, despite telehealth um, options sometimes being offered. And finally, I think um, with the dropping of mask mandates in societal and now medical establishments, uh, for immunocompromised students, for example, um, there's difficulties in accessing their education. And at AU, this could look like in-person exams, co-ops, placements, labs, um, as well as life-saving medical care and accommodations. Um, once more, the next five minutes, we'll cover some difficult topics. Please feel free to step away um, at any time and take care of yourselves. Um, I am going to provide you all um, with a brief historical background of disability, um, which is obviously insufficient because of time constraints, so I would just urge you to do further reading. Um, the early history of disability is quite long, bleak, um, with sterilization, lobotomization, segregation quite common, um, according to the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, as well as eugenics. Um, the early 19th century saw the rise of so-called ugly laws in the United States, first passed in Chicago in 1881 before spreading US-wide. Um, according to Hannah Tweed in the Disability Studies Quarterly, and I quote, um, 
the laws ruled that any person um, who is diseased, maimed, mutilated, or in any way deformed, so as not to be an unsightly or disgusting object, shall not expose himself to public view under the penalty of a fine. The disability rights movement, years of activism led to the ADA of 1990, according to the Anti-Defamation League, and I quote, um, years of activism ensured the equal treatment and equal access of people with disabilities to employment opportunities and to public accommodations. In a more Canadian context, according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, in the 19th and early 20th centuries, um, various social, political, and economic conditions resulted in segregation and the denial of civil rights in residential institutions, hospitals, and refuges. In the late 20th century, disability, the disability rights movement began. Um, according to the Government of Canada, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Canadian Human Rights Act protect disabled people from discrimination. In particular, Section 15 of the Charter protects on the basis of various identities, including disability, and the, the Canadian Human Rights Act of 1977 protects against discrimination during employment or receiving services. Um, more recently, disability justice, um, as opposed to the disability rights movement, takes an increasingly intersectional approach when talking about disability. For example, um, Disability is the one intersection of identity that cuts across all other identity lines. So you could have uh, race, ethnicity, class, gender identity, sexual orientation, faith, size, et cetera. Um, we will all become disabled um, at some point in our lives, some of us sooner than others. Um, I will give you an example. Um, when this pandemic began, disabled folks were and continue to be very high risk. Um, now let's add to that race, age, gender identity, and class. Um, of the disability community who faces the greatest risk, who of us um, is most likely to live in environmentally racist communities and is therefore already higher risk of health issues, who lives in food deserts, um, which basically means lack of access to, to fresh food, um, who will face increased incarceration and institutionalized institutionalization rates um who who of us will be most likely to face medical racism homophobia transphobia fat phobia when accessing care um who will be believed who will be denied care i think let's think back to the pandemic once again um with the hoarding of Hydroxychloroquine, um, which is uh, a medication often used in auto, several autoimmune diseases, um, hoarding of this by non-disabled folks, which led to shortages um, and led to many immunocompromised people without life-saving care. Um, I think one of the things that, that we should think about of who, who of us will be exposed to constant eugenicist rhetoric and who will be triaged and considered an acceptable loss um, when these systems begin to collapse. Um, one quote that sums this idea up 
comes to us courtesy of author Audre Lorde, and I quote, there is no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. When advocating for the disability community here at AUSU and also in my personal life, um, it's, it's really important to acknowledge and pay homage to everyone that's come before me. Many of whom are no longer here. Um, much of this work was begun for and by racialized and queer disabled folks in a movement that continues to center white, cis, and heteronormative ways of existence. My work has been heavily influenced by the disability justice movement and the works of an organization named Sins Invalid. Um, an explanation of disability justice comes to us courtesy of a quote commonly attributed to a photo um, by Patty Byrne of Leroy Moore of Sins Invalid. And I quote, all bodies are unique and essential. All bodies are whole. All bodies have strengths and needs that must be met. We are powerful, not despite the complexities of our bodies, but because of them. We move together with nobody left behind. This is disability justice. Um, so who are Sins Invalid? Um, and I quote, Sins Invalid is a disability justice um, based performance project that incubates and celebrates artists with disabilities, centralizing artists of color and LGBTQ um, slash gender variant artists as communities who have been historically marginalized. Instead of paraphrasing their mission in my own understanding, I'd like to read to you several quotes, which I think really explain the core of what disability justice is and what it can be. And I quote, while a concrete and radical move forward towards justice for disabled people, the disability rights movement simultaneously invisibilized the lives of disabled people of color, immigrants with disabilities, disabled people who practice marginalized religions, in particular, those experiencing the violence of anti-Islamic beliefs and actions, queers with disabilities, trans and gender non-conforming people with disabilities, people with disabilities who are houseless, people with disabilities who are incarcerated, people with disabilities who have had their ancestral land stolen, among others. Now, you may be asking, what does a disability justice um, framework look like? And once again, I quote um, from Sins Invalid, a disability justice framework understands that all bodies are unique and essential. All bodies have strengths and needs that must be met. We are powerful, not despite the complexity of of our bodies, but because of them, all bodies are confined, are confined by ability, race, gender, sexuality, class, nation state, religion, and more, and we cannot separate them. After today's presentation, um, disability justice is something I would encourage you all to, to learn a little more about, as we can't work toward anti-oppression without considering disability and disabled lives, something that intersects across all other identities and something that comes to us all. Um, another term, which I would encourage you all to consider is crip time. Crip time is a concept that is talked about quite frequently in, in the disability community and disability circles, and in, in many ways overlaps with the term queer time. Um, so some questions to think about, uh, what does it mean to exist 
outside of normative time and not be able to meet any of those expected big milestones like graduation. Um, what does it mean to get sick and never get better? Um, what does it mean to lose days, weeks, months of your life repeatedly? Um, what does it mean to take endless breaks, naps, rest? Um, what does it mean when your limited time and energy is taken up by endless medical appointments? What does it mean when you're repeatedly kept out of spaces due to accessibility? What does it mean to spend most of your time fighting for accessibility? What does it mean for your life to have an uncertain future? And finally, what does it mean to begin again and again and again? There's a quote from author Ellen Samuels that I'd like to read to you all, which I think best sums up the experience of living in crypt time. And I quote, crypt time is time travel. Disability and illness have the power to extract us from linear progressive time with its normative life stages and cast us into a wormhole of backward and forward acceleration, jerky stops and starts, tedious intervals and abrupt endings. Some of us contend with the impairments of old age while still young. Some of us are treated like children, no matter how old we get. The medical language of illness tries to reimpose the linear, speaking in terms of the chronic, the progressive, and the terminal, of relapses and stages. But we who occupy the bodies of crypt time know that we are never linear, and we rage silently, or not so silently, at the calm straightforwardness of those who live in the sheltered space of normative time. Um, now that we've basically uh, briefly covered the basics of some terminology, I will be sharing with you some of my, my personal favorites and who, who I think are a great, great start to learning more about disability. Um, these resources ha have been shared with you all um, in, in the chat. Um, so let's start with some activists, organizers, and, and authors. Um, I would suggest Patty Burden and Leora Moore, uh, two members of the Sins and Valid Disability Justice Movement, also known as Crutches and Spice on social media, activist, writer, and communicator Imani Barber, um, and, and so, so many more, Mia Mingus, um, Stacey Milburn, Alice Wong. Mm, let's move on to organizations, collectives, and campaigns. One idea for students interested in disability activism would be looking further into the hashtag CryptoVote um, campaign, which, which was a way for the disability community to actively engage in influencing policy. Um, and I think advocate for your student union to consider um, more disability asks when running they're called get out the vote campaigns um, when when the student union is advocating for students to get out and vote during um, pr provincial um, and federal elections. Um, in, in addition, students could also check out the above mentioned um, Sins Invalid and last but not least, the Disability Visibility Project of Disability Media and Culture. For those of you who would like to read further, um, I have shared with you uh, this full list uh, of books. Um, I, I'd consider 
looking into Alice Wong's collection, Disability Visibility, um, as, as well as what is disability justice by Sins Invalid. Um, also, when we're looking to cinema and podcasts, consider Crip Camp and the Disability Visibility Podcast. So moving on to why we are all here. Why do we as AU students choose Athabasca University? I'm sure you all have your, your many different reasons, including accessibility, flexibility, open enrollment, asynchronous learning, and monthly start dates. Um, for those of you who may be new or who are still unsure of what is available at AU, I thought I could briefly offer you a, a little summary of what supports are available at the university level. Uh, the first option would be accessibility services, which offers help for students who require accommodations when writing exams, assignments, and more. Um, AU also offers all registered students access to CarePath mental health resources, as well as Talk Campus to anonymously chat with peers. Um, various awards are also available on the AU website. I would urge you all to connect with accessibility services to chat about your options for long-term conditions, new conditions, but as well as temporary conditions. Um, for example, a broken bone. Um, and now, how does all this information apply to your personal student experience at AU? And what does AUSU, your student union, do for you? Um, let's talk about what accessibility work looks like within AUSU as an organization. Um, during my several terms here, I've worked um, to develop policies and processes for accessibility and accommodations based on the previously mentioned disability justice framework. Um, these have been in consultation with disabled students as well as AUSU's Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, as well as Staffing Council. Um, some of our implemented ideas include the establishment of an accessibility officer, and today um, that is under AUSU staff. We, we always um, announce the accessibility officer um, at the beginning of each meeting. We have also worked on the development of internal policies as well as external advocacy policies. Um, events such as this and also last year's Disability Week. Um, hybrid options for all of AUSU's work and conferences. Um, liaising with accessibility services at Athabasca University as well as liaising with our provincial student leader counterparts at the Council of Alberta University Students cause and federally with the Canadian Alliance of Student Associations CASA. And I have to say much trial and error. Um, disability work, just because it is so large and expansive and varied and there is no one single experience is a lot of trial and error. Um, it's always a work in progress. I know for myself personally, I, I'm always building my skills, reading, talking to, to students with very lived experiences than myself, taking courses, and learning my own internalized ableism and in ways that I, I remain complicit in, in oppression. So you may be asking, why is this important? 
Um, because all this work that we do is, is to ensure that we put in place processes um, that keep accessibility at the forefront of what we do and how we advocate as an organization and to create accessible spaces for future student leaders like you um, in upcoming terms. As an aside, elections will be taking place in April 2024. And if anyone would like to chat, you can always reach out to any of us on council and we would be happy to, to share um, our experiences. Um, speaking of this advocacy work, we had a huge advocacy win last year. Um, so AUSU, along with our provincial advocacy group, the Council of Alberta University Students Cause, um, resulted in increased funding for 5,200 students um, in, in what is called the Grant for Students with Disabilities, and these are for persistent or prolonged disabilities. Um, also, over my past three three terms, um, with a great deal of collaboration with everyone here and with all all you students, um, is that I've ensured that council has internal governance processes, which means detailing how we run as an organization as well as external advocacy points, which means what we advocate for to the university, to the provincial government and to the federal government. Um, in particular, these policies focus on, you know, the themes of nothing about us without us and the intersectional nature of disability justice. I thought I could share with you um, some of our asks. We have many, but these are are quite quite important um, to us. And, and this is from what is called AUSU's Accessibility and Accommodations Position Policy, which means this is our official position when we advocate to the university and to the provincial and federal governments. AUSU will advocate to ensure that inclusive and disability affirming language is used throughout courses, including study guides, reading materials, assignments, and exams. AUSU will advocate for increased funding and staffing of accessibility services, and AUSU will um, advocate to implement training for deans, faculty, course coordinators, tutors, and staff in relation to disability and accessibility. In addition, um, last term I developed an internal process document for AUSU, which under, underscores best practices in gathering accommodations requests with each incoming um, team of new student leaders. So an example of this could be our day-to-day -day operations during events, um, during travel, as well as always offering well-planned hybrid options. The team's also been having a great deal of conversations, a lot of trial and error, on how to make our organization more accessible for future student leaders, for staff, for members at large and volunteers, um, and then also in our elections and committee work. So if you have any suggestions on how to make our organization more accessible, we would be very glad to hear it. Um, so now, how does this apply to how we advocate for, for AU students? And also, again, please feel free to, to jump in and just because I, I can't see the chat right now. Um, 
So these processes and advocacy points are what guide us in an attempt to make our organization more accessible for students like you, um, whether you're a future student leader, a volunteer, or using our many services. They also guide what we advocate for to improve the student experience at AU for you all. And this include, includes increased funding from the provincial government um, internally within our organization. It means prioritizing accessibility at all levels during our meetings, conferences, events like this, policy work, travel, always offering well-planned hybrid options. Um, so if, if you're disabled, if you have a chronic illness, if you're working, if you're taking care of dependents, if you're busy finishing your degree, AUSU will accommodate your specific needs. Um, and this means ensuring these needs are met prior to making any plans. So usually we send out questionnaires prior to events, um, book accessible modes of transport and accommodations such as hotels, um, and it's like training for student leaders and staff, flexible schedules, and of course, hybrid. Um, and it also means understanding accessibility gaps within our organization and working to solve them through training and looking at our current election policies and processes. Something that, that I think should be asked is, is there a seat available at the table and is that seat accessible? So this means creating policies that purposefully ensures the participation of disabled student leaders um, and asking, are we adhering to nothing about us without us? And are we consulting with disabled students and faculty on asks? Um, it also means looking into dis disability specific anti-oppression training for incoming teams, learning for movements like hashtag crypto vote and centering the ideas of disabled people in policy decisions. Um, things like considering plain language and design principles, which ensure that the message is provided in the most clear way uh, as possible. Um, and, and also accommodations requirements, um, looking, looking at things like our website and social media for accessibility, um, alt tag for images, for example, um, and considering what type of disability representation that we use on our personal communications channels. Um, externally, um, when we advocate to different levels of government, it refers, and to the university, um, it refers to advocating for student choice. Um, things like course material, physical textbook or e-text, invigilation type, um, in-person or, or online, improvements to proctor you and in-person options. Um, accessible digital material, including PDFs and text that is compatible with screen readers, as well as courses that adhere to principles of universal design, which means design that is accessible for everyone without needing to ask for those accommodations because they are already there. Um, it also means advocating for multimedia and courses. We all have different learning styles. Um, I guess, Online is not accessible for, for everyone, but traditional brick and mortar institutions remain inaccessible for, for many students and not just the disability community. Also for students who are incarcerated, those with dependents, working multiple jobs, um, 
living in various geographical locations like rural and remote areas, as well as students in lower income um, brackets for whom life in an urban center might be inaccessible, or, or even students who don't want to leave their communities for cultural reasons or for family commitments. Um, for this reason, one of the things that we advocate for is improvements in digital infrastructure like internet access, especially for rural and remote learners. Um, also, we advocate for disabled course content across all faculties um, for and by disabled scholars. And finally, um, advocating against the unfortunately all too prevalent ableism, racism, sizeism, homophobia and transphobia, among others in medical programs such as nursing. Um, although, although we support AU's disability community and beyond with, with these internal processes and through our advocacy to improve all of your um, student experiences, we also offer several supports. So we have our AUSU student awards and bursaries. We have services like the virtual food assistance program, um, which offers students gift cards and the 2SLGBTQIA plus Discord server and Pride community page and events like this. So I would like to specifically circle back to disability representation in general and, and how it relates to how we portray the disability community um, as well as equity seeking communities in general on our personal communications channels um, and what we advocate for what we see in social media um, beyond our organization um, at the university level as well as provincially and federally. So this has been a conversation with our organization to ensure that we represent varied student experiences in a respectful manner. Um, I'd ask you to consider what does disability look like and what does disability representation look like and now I'm going to show you some common representation that we often see. Um, I'd ask you to think critically about what you see and ask yourself which of these particular images you would gravitate toward and why. Um, is it this? Um, we have a black background with paper cutout um, disabled figures in different colors showing various mobility aids such as wheelchair, cane, and different types of disabilities and lived experiences. What about these? We have a pair of crutches seen leaning against a blue wall. Um, we have the wheel of a wheelchair with a white hand in a green shirt facing a blurred hallway. Then we also have um, what looks to be a child's drawing of a little black child in a wheelchair surrounded by two individuals standing over the child, one white, one black, pencil crayons frame the photo on top and markers are on the bottom of the photo. What about this? We have a white hand crossing out the this in disability in red with um, black text. Um, what about this? So we have two headless bodies um, with two pairs of white hands, one wearing a gray sweater and holding a brown cane, and what would be a caregiver dressed in blue scrubs and supporting the elbow of the individual with the king. And this, so we have 
a headless photo of an individual dressed in a white shirt and great tie, black dress pants and shoes holding a pair of forearm crutches, um, white hands. The setting appears to be an office or professional setting of some sort with a glass desk, a bookshelf, um, and a window facing trees in the background. Could it be this? An individual in a wheelchair seen just from the back in a black wide brimmed hat facing a yellow sphere. The background is a darker yellow tone. Um, or this, it's a pair of black hands with a white shirt just on one hand and reading a white book written in braille on a wooden desk. This, and here we have a black photo with gray in the center, an individual sits facing a wall in a wheelchair and appears to be a, a dark room or, or silhouette. And this, so against the backdrop, uh, what could be a sunset or maybe a sunrise and a cloudy sky, an individual in silhouette um, raises a pair of forearm crutches above their head. Or this, and why? Um, a group of younger individuals of various identities and backgrounds sit and stand beside a long white table looking at a laptop with a black wall and a cream colored window. Thinking back to these images and re disability representation in communications, what messages or tropes are being conveyed? Is disability always apparent? such as a mobility aid, uh, such as a wheelchair, crutches, forearm crutches, a cane. Um, is it predominantly always white? Is it cis? Is it heteronormative? Um, what about non-apparent disabilities and those that might fluctuate hourly, daily, weekly? Um, why is there often infantilizing euphemisms that serve to soften disability. I'd ask, why does the very term disability make us uncomfortable? Why the portrayal of body parts, such as the hands, the the, the torso? Um, I'd ask, why must we be portrayed scaling mountains with our mobility aids? We're not using them anymore as, as we raise them above our heads. Um, why can't we just do mundane everyday things like buying bread without being told that we're an inspiration? Um, why must we be exceptional as opposed to just being conventional or ordinary, just like everybody else? Um, why the trope of the disabled villain that, that we often see in media um, with the cane, with the eye patch, um, with, with the facial difference, um, do certain images serve to make non-disabled people feel better about not being us? Why must we overcome anything? What, what about disability pride? Um, finally, why does the very appearance and acknowledgement of disability continue to cause discomfort in some cultural contexts, especially in Canada. So I'm gonna tell you all an anecdote from my personal life. 
Um, as someone whose disability is extremely apparent on, on some days and not apparent and hidden on others and in certain contexts, for example, Zoom, um, and as someone who has had the immense privilege of, of living in various geographical locations throughout my life, um, I'm extremely aware of how those in my vicinity react to my presence, um, depending on where I am. Um, and so I will speak to a Canadian context, and this is various provinces, coast to coast. Um, so there are places where I can live my life in peace, um, while there are also places that will not let me forget for one second that I'm disabled and therefore different. Um, I've heard this experience um, described as existing between invisibility and hypervisibility by author Ellen Samuels. So speaking again to a specifically Canadian context, um, I've been stared at. Uh, I've also had eye contact avoided. I've been touched without my consent in an attempt to help with something that I've not asked for. Um, I've been pushed and shoved out of the way. I have had my mobility aid touched um, and moved. I have been spoken to in high-pitched infantilizing tones. Um, and I've also been called inspirational for simply being alive. Um, but on, on the other hand, I've also, I've also met the most genuine and amazing people and have had open and honest conversations all while comparing notes. Um, that said, this world is a constant reminder that despite how far we've come, there's still a long way to go and we need allyship. Um, I'd ask, why are we so uncomfortable and why are we so confused and often so angry at disabled existence in the public sphere, especially when it's just ordinary, but especially when it's happy or joyful? Um, my final question um, would be, why did we hear constant and nonchalant comments about how disabled people should just stay home during the pandemic? And now with the dropping of all mandates, when we need to see medical professionals to, to purchase groceries, to take public transportation, to obtain an education, to advocate for fellow students, um, and to live our lives as safely as possible and to our fullest as does everyone else? Um, my question would be to you all, what will you do in allyship moving forward? Returning to the conversations regarding inspirational, in quotes, inspirational disabled imagery, you may re remember um, throughout your lives seeing images featuring disabled individuals achieving amazing things with statements like, what's your excuse? Um, referring to this, Disability activist Stella Young, who coined the term inspiration porn, explained, and I quote, so in this case, we're objectifying disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people. The purpose of these images is to inspire you, to motivate you, so that you can look at them and think, well, however bad my life is, it could be worse. I could be that person. But what if you are that person? So one way of moving past this discomfort is to learn about disability um, through readings, research, and conversations. I guess the question that does come up quite frequently is when is it appropriate to ask disabled people questions? Um, 
in all honesty, there's there's no concrete answer to this. Disability is a very is varied and extremely personal experience, which often exists publicly. Um, for myself personally, and remember, all all of us are extremely different. Um, my personal advice would be to consider two things when when, for example, coming up to me to ask questions. Um, one, do we have some kind of relationship? Um, and two, is it necessary for you to know? Um, especially for something like if if I might need assistance. Um, so if the answer to A is no, I would say build a relationship with me prior to asking invasive and confidential medical questions. And B, um, if, if you're close to me in, in some part in my life, um, you will be informed of, of what to do in crisis. Um, in all other cases, I think there's no reason to ask unless um, the person offers offers the information. I think one thing to remember is despite best intentions, um, unfortunately, harm is, is there is still a harmful impact. And with that said, I'm incredibly open about having conversations about disability um, and chronic illness with absolutely anyone, but I do draw the line at my specific diagnosis in most cases for the simple reason that it's my business. Um, and so my advice, ask yourself, is this appropriate? Is this necessary? Can I learn this on my own time? And why do I want to know? So let's talk about how all this information relates to your lives beyond AU, whether you're part of the disability community or not. Um, I would suggest adding disability content to your regular media, including social media. Learn from disability perspectives, including those different from your own. Consider active allyship. So this means always lift up and center disability perspectives and practice collective care in your communities to address funding gaps, inequitable systems and systemic barriers. Also consider how your words, actions and policy decisions, if you're in a position such as student leadership, impact your wider communities and beyond. For example, what do the end of mass mandates and any sort of mitigating processes such as COVID testing and distancing mean for your immunocompromised peers um, fellow students and friends who can no longer participate safely in their education, such as in-person exams. Um, also in-person advocacy work, like in my case, um, student union conferences, and now in many places can no longer access medical care or accommodations forms um, safely. So what does it mean for elected student leaders like me or possibly in the future? all of you um, who who maybe can only present on a topic like accessibility and accommodations in an online or hybrid um, version as traveling to and within Alberta poses too much of a risk. Is that equitable? Um, what, what does all of this mean for all of us who will only survive with the community shielding us? Before we conclude, I wanted to leave you all um, with the words of Leah Lakshmi um, Samar Sinha from the book Care Work. Uh, to think about when you return to your daily lives, um, and I quote, normalize 
access, and disability. Learn about disabled cultures and histories. Look at the histories of disability in your own family and communities. Ask you how you are fighting ableism in every campaign you do. Don't forget about us. Realize you are or will be us. So as a final note, some of you may have noticed that I began and ended this presentation with cactus um, to explain. So this, this is something just a bit personal. It reflects my, my current geographical locations. But those of you that know me know about my absolute love of all things cacti. But also, um, in a way, to me, these cacti represent the disability experience. Despite everything as a community, we somehow continue to survive and thrive, um, sometimes in the absolute harshest conditions and in, in and environments um, often without access to supports throughout history to, to current times. So no matter the condition of the world, no matter what the future will bring, um, including governmental policies and systemic barriers, we've always been here and we will always be here. And that gives me comfort. Thank you.